Amen. Well, for the last month, we have been in a series of sermon messages that I mentioned at the very beginning uh, through the Old Testament book of Daniel. And uh, it's been a very interesting uh, and important series because it's a very interesting and important time in the life of the history of the people of Israel. Uh, Just to recap the background of what's happening here, their capital, Jerusalem, had been destroyed and God allowed them to be carried off to a foreign land, carried into exile to the city of Babylon. And there, Daniel and some other young Israelites uh, were taken away. They were taken to Babylon and they were uh, given these opportunities. God kind of raised them up and gave them great influence And we've seen how that influence has come about through these remarkable stories that we've looked at over the past few weeks. And all of the stories uh, kind of demonstrate that the great empires of the world, the great kings of the world, all of them are subject to the one true God, the God of Israel, the God of Daniel and the exiles. And so if we're to recap this series, and this is on your outline if you wanna pull that out and use that today. If we were to recap this series, I think we could say this, that throughout this series, God has demonstrated that he is the one true living God. That's how he has shown up. He's demonstrated that he is the one true living God. And so today, we come to Daniel chapter five, And uh, we're going to do a little bit of Bible reading this morning because this is a long story, but a very important one. And this story actually takes place many years later in the life of Daniel from where we have been in Daniel 3 and Daniel 4. In fact, many biblical commentators believe that Daniel is likely an older man now, maybe even an older and forgotten man at this point. And we'll see why uh, in just a bit when we look at the passage. But today... With this story, I want us to consider the theme of truth. Truth. Truth has a way of leveling the scales in our lives, right? Right? Sometimes all we want is the truth. Just give me the truth. And sometimes the last thing we want is what? The truth, right? We'll avoid it at all costs. Lucille Clifton was the former uh, poet laureate of the state of Maryland. And she wrote this really beautiful poem in which she pictures herself trying to keep her eyes closed, ignoring the truth. But then she finishes the poem, this is how it ends, with a voice telling her, you might as well answer the door, my child. The truth is furiously knocking. You might as well answer the door because the truth is furiously knocking. We've all dealt with that in some way, right? Uh, I might as well deal with this, so bring on the truth. Let me have it. There's great power in truth. Wars have been fought over the pursuit of truth. Great movements in the world happen for the pursuit and the winning of truth. This year, uh, we've... Uh, been celebrating 500 years of the Protestant Reformation. 500 years ago, a movement based on the truth found alone in God's word, in the scriptures alone, was birthed that has changed the world, that put the Bible into the hands of every person. Truth, it's powerful. 
And so today we're going to see how God uses Daniel to reveal truth to the king, to the king of Babylon. And from that, I think we can also see how God reveals his truth in our lives. And so today I want us to see God's truth on display in three ways. Three ways that God's truth is on display in this story and in our lives. And the first is that God's truth breaks through. Now, just to recap where we are in the story of Daniel, King Nebuchadnezzar is one of the characters that we've been looking at a lot over the past month, the first king, the great king of Babylon that Daniel and the Israelites encounter. But in Daniel 5, he's no longer on the scene. He's died in years past. There's a new king in Babylon named Belshazzar. And Belshazzar, by all accounts, is a king who did not learn the lessons of Nebuchadnezzar, right? He's full of himself, as we'll see, and he is completely, seemingly unaware of the situation that currently faces him in this story. Unaware. So look with me at Daniel 5, and we're going to read a a bit of scripture this morning, so we're going to start in verse 1. It says this, King Belshazzar gave a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles and drank wine with them. While Belshazzar was drinking his wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem so that the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. So they brought in the gold goblets that had been taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem and the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines drank from them. As they drank the wine, They praised the gods of gold and silver, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone. So what's happening here is that Belshazzar is having a massive party, right? And in his bravado, in his arrogance, he orders that all of the old and special artifacts from Jerusalem that they had taken many years ago when they brought the people of Israel into exile, that all of them be brought out and we're going to party with those sacred artifacts. A complete disrespect, of course, of the people of Israel and the God of Israel. And all the while, um, Bible commentators tell us that this is taking place, whether Belshazzar knows it fully or not, we're not sure, but this is taking place while armies are literally at the city gates of Babylon, waiting to take the city. And Belshazzar, in his bravado and in his arrogance, is throwing this kind of drunken party and disrespecting the God of Israel. Perhaps that makes some sense, though, because not only is it a show of arrogance um, to be doing that at this time, but maybe in some ways it's his way of trying to drown out what he's facing, to drown out his fears to literally forget what he's facing at the city gates. Maybe his pride and his arrogance are kind of his last defense, if you will, to keep at bay what's coming. Pastor Dudley talked about this last week when we looked at pride and how pride has a way at times of being this barrier that keeps us from recognizing our deep problem, our deep issues with sin, and difficulty in life. And pride is that issue that we all face in some 
way or another, and it plays itself out in this story as well. There's a great quote uh, from the actor Leonardo DiCaprio that I saw recently in an interview, and listen to what he says here. He says, as soon as enough people give you enough compliments and you're wielding more power than you've ever had in your life, it's not that you become arrogant or become rude to people, but you get a false sense of your own importance and what you've accomplished. You actually think you've altered the course of history. I think that's a pretty good statement of Belshazzar, and that's a pretty good statement of pride in general, at whatever level we may be struggling with it. But Belshazzar's pride, his bravado, is keeping him in this story from seeing what is coming, the peril that he and his kingdom are in, that history is about to change. And so into that moment, that's the setting that God's truth breaks through. It breaks through all of those defenses, and in the most remarkable way, God brings his truth. Look at verse five with me. Suddenly, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall near the lampstand in the royal palace. The king watched the hand as it wrote. His face turned pale, and he was so frightened that his legs became weak and his knees were knocking. Now maybe you've never read through the book of Daniel, but this story perhaps now may be starting to be remembered. This is the story of the, the famous story of the writing on the wall, where we get the phrase, the writing is on the wall. And what do we mean when we say that? Change is coming. Some kind of judgment or change is coming because the writing is on the wall. Look with me at verse seven. The king summoned the enchanters, astrologers, and, div and div uh, diviners. Then he said to these wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and tells me what it means will be clothed in purple and have gold, a gold chain placed around his neck, and he will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or tell the king what it meant. So King Belshazzar became even more terrified and his face grew more pale. His nobles were baffled. You see, no doubt, King Belshazzar had lived his life with a great deal of power, a great deal of wealth. Anything that he wanted, he could have had. If there was a problem, he could fix it. But now he's being faced with something he doesn't understand. Something miraculous is happening in his midst. There's an army at the city gates. Life is beginning to kind of fall in on Belshazzar. And he's overwhelmed with fear. He's trying to forget about it, of course, by doing what? By partying. By literally drowning out all of these fears. He's trying to put it off, even, by disrespecting the God of Israel by using and desecrating these sacred artifacts. Belshazzar probably lived his life thinking that money fixed everything, that his power could fix everything, and now he's in a moment when God is breaking through in an incredible way. His truth is breaking through in an incredible way. And for you and I, I think it's important for us to recognize 
that God often breaks through our defenses and shows up in ways that we don't expect. There are certain things in my life and in your life, um, certain ways that we've kind of come to believe that we can fix everything. And this thing has worked for me in the past to try to deal with this problem or this difficulty, and so I'm gonna keep going to that well until it stops working. We know that there are things kind of at the gates of our lives that we're just trying to keep at bay, things that we can't handle. And yet our sinful tendency is to try to fix those things in the ways that we think will work for us. We try to drown out the situation, if you will, in order to deal with them. Maybe like Belshazzar, for some of us, money is the way that we keep those things at bay. Money serves that purpose of fixing everything in our life. Maybe it's just easier to spend a bit of money when we're feeling troubled or when life is beginning to fall in on us, when we're sensing some kind of pain or uncertainty on the horizon. Maybe for some of us, it's a bad relationship that we run to, that we think in that moment we just go to it because it will help fix the problem. Maybe for some of us, it's a a substance of some kind that fills that gap, that fixes the issue for us. Some of us, and this is usually a little more acceptable in our culture, some of us just dive headlong into our work. I can just dive more in here and kind of keep the things at the gates of my world at bay. I don't want to face that truth, so I'm just going to forget about it. But the reality is, and I think you'll know this to be true, that God's truth has a way of breaking through all of our defenses. All of those things, all of those ways that we try to keep those problems or our deep issues at bay, God's truth finds a way through all of them like he does with Belshazzar. For Belshazzar, God's truth was showing up in an incredible way. There is a mysterious hand writing on the wall, on this plaster wall, and it is writing a message. But for you and me, how is God doing that? How is God's truth breaking into your life, breaking past your defenses, past my defenses? The question is for the king and for us, not that God is going to break through because he will, but when he does, What does God's truth reveal? What does it tell us? And that's the second way we see God's truth on display in this story in our lives, that God's truth reveals. It doesn't just break through, it reveals. So King Belshazzar is terrified by this hand that's writing words on the wall. And of all the people, it's the queen mother who speaks up and says, why are you so afraid? Don't worry, don't look so pale. And she remembers that there's one in your kingdom, Belshazzar, who can tell you what this means. Maybe she's old enough to remember Daniel, right? It's possible that she may have been one of the only ones left in the royal court that would remember who Daniel was. She remembers, she says, go find Daniel, bring him here because he will tell you what this means. And so look with me at verse 13 as the story continues. So Daniel was brought before the king, and the king said to him, Are you Daniel, one of the exiles my father the king brought from Judah? 
I've heard that the spirit of the gods is in you and that you have insight, intelligence, and outstanding wisdom. The wise men and enchanters were brought before me to read this writing and tell me what it means, but they could not explain it. Now I've heard that you are able to give interpretations and to solve difficult problems. What a, what a thing to put on your resume, right? If you can read this writing and tell me what it means, you will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around your neck and you will be made third highest ruler in the kingdom. Then Daniel answered the king, you may keep your gifts for yourself and give your rewards to someone else. Nevertheless, I will read the writing for the king and tell him what it means. So Daniel, with God's help, is about to reveal truth. He's going to reveal to the king what this all means. And that's what happens when God breaks past our defenses. When God breaks into our lives, we become awakened to the fact that he is present, that he's breaking through, and that he's saying something to us, that God's truth will be revealed. And what's interesting, I think, is that's what we always want from everyone else, right? We want people to be truthful with us. We want everyone to be truthful with us. We want the truth to be revealed. We don't want anyone to keep anything from us. But when it comes to ourselves, often, sometimes we don't want the truth revealed. We don't want that to get out. John Ortberg, who's a great author, writes about this, and he uses some some funny examples to explain. He says, imagine picking your car up from the shop after a routine tune-up, and the technician says, this car is in great shape. Clearly, you have an automotive genius to take care of your car. Later that day, your brakes don't work. You find out you were out of brake fluid. You could have died. So you go back to the shop, and you say, why didn't you tell me? The technician replies, well, I didn't want you to feel bad. Plus, to be honest, I was afraid you might get upset with me. I want this to be a safe place where you feel loved and accepted. You'd be furious. You'd say, I didn't come here for a little fantasy-based ego boost. When it comes to my car, I want the truth. Or imagine going to the doctor's office, he writes, for a checkup. And the doctor says to you, you're a magnificent physical specimen. You have the body of an Olympian. You're to be congratulated. Later that day, while climbing the stairs, your heart gives out. And you find out later your arteries were so clogged that you were like one jelly donut away from the Grim Reaper. (laughs) You go back to the doctor and say, why didn't you tell me? The doctor says, well, I knew your body is in worse shape than the Pillsbury Doughboy. But if I tell people stuff like that, they get offended. It's bad for business. They don't come back. I want this to be a safe place where you feel loved and accepted. You'd be furious if your doctor said something like that. When it comes to my body, I want the truth. But if we're honest, sometimes we don't want the truth. But in this story and in this moment, Belshazzar is asking Daniel for the truth. Give it to me straight, Daniel. And so this is what Daniel says in verse 18. 
He says, your majesty, the most high God, gave your father, Nebuchadnezzar, sovereignty and greatness and glory and splendor. Because of the high position he gave him, all the nations and peoples of every language dreaded and feared him. Those the king wanted to put to death, he put to death. Those he wanted to spare, he spared. Those he wanted to promote, he promoted. And those he wanted to humble, he humbled. But when his heart became arrogant and hardened with pride, he was deposed from his royal throne. That's what we looked at last week. And stripped of his glory until he acknowledged that the most high God is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and sets over them anyone he wishes. And then look at verse 22. Daniel continues, but you, Belshazzar, his son, have not humbled yourself, though you knew all this. Instead, you have set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. You had the goblets from his temple brought to you, and you and your nobles, your wives and your concubines drank wine from them. You praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which cannot see or hear or understand. But you did not honor the God who holds in his hand your life and all your ways. Therefore, he sent the hand that wrote the inscription. Okay, so that's Daniel's setup. Now here comes the truth. He's about to tell, the, tell him what all of this means. And we're about to read kind of the very dramatic and action-packed conclusion to this. So for dramatic pause, wait. And in verse 25, Daniel says... This is the inscription that was written. Mene, mene, tekel, parson. Here's what these words mean. Mene, God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. Paris, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. And look how this ends. Then at Belshazzar's command, after hearing that truth, Daniel was clothed in purple. A gold chain was placed around his neck and he was proclaimed the third highest ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain and Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. Judgment upon Belshazzar came quickly. Daniel says, your pride, Belshazzar, has gotten out of control. You have dishonored the one true God. Therefore, he's telling you, and this is a famous, if you've ever heard, there's a famous Johnny Cash song actually called Belshazzar. You have been found, you have been weighed in the balance and found wanting. You have been weighed on the scales of justice by God and found lacking. And in fact, Belshazzar, Belshazzar this whole kingdom your, your throne, your whole kingdom, while you're partying, there is an army at the gates. This is over. This is over. Your kingdom is falling tonight, and that's exactly what happens. God's truth is revealed by Daniel in a pretty incredible way. And what is revealed is this simple fact that the God of the Bible, the God of Israel, Daniel's God, will not be mocked, will not play second to any other king or kingdom. And right then and there, in this moment of judgment, God is actually laying the groundwork for the rescue of his people that will happen in a few years to come. And so the question for us as we read this incredible story this morning 
is simply this. What does it look like when God's truth comes into our lives, when it breaks through, and what does it reveal? When God's word comes into our life, what will it reveal? And the reality is this, that at times it's going to confront us. It's going to tell us things that perhaps we're not ready or wanting to hear. It first tells us the very bad news of our situation, the bad news of the gospel, that from the very beginning, our hearts have been sinful and wandered away from God. We've hardened ourselves like Belshazzar against the true God, and we've sought to make ourselves happy in different ways, kind of drowning out that problem. It's the human problem that we all have with our hearts. And that sin continues, if not checked, if not done, about, done something about, to lead us further and further away from God and to actually make us enemies of God. And the gospel tells us that because God is holy and just, that sin must be punished. Something has to happen if we're to come back into the relationship with God that we were meant to have. But there's another way that God's truth is on display in this story in our life. And I think it's very important for us to see. Yes, there is bad news. There is judgment. But finally this morning, God's truth heals. The bad news is that sin must be judged. But the good news of the gospel tells us that we believe God is a loving God. That when God's truth is revealed in our lives, it actually awakens us to the deep sin that we have, the deep problem that we have, but it also opens our eyes to see our deep need of a savior, our deep need to be rescued from our sin. And when God comes to us in Jesus, he breaks through into the world in the person of Jesus. He begins to do the work of rescue in your life and in my life. And so what I want us all to see today is Daniel 5, the handwriting on the wall, is a story about God's truth bringing judgment, right? Judgment upon Babylon and upon their king. And we know that when God's truth comes into our lives, it must at times also bring judgment. Judgment on our sin. And when that happens, those are the places when we have to turn from the things that are leading us away from God and back to him. There's a scene in the last hours of Jesus' life. Uh, after he's allowed himself to be arrested, he's brought before Pilate, the Roman governor, and they have this exchange about truth. John 18 says, Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth, retorted Pilate. And with this, he went out again to the Jews gathered there and said, I find no basis for a charge against him. 
You see, in this moment, Jesus is speaking truth to the world and to our hearts. He lived the perfect life that we could not, and now in that scene, he stands before Pilate and says, you don't understand the truth that I bring, the truth that I stand for, but those who follow me, those who believe, will be on the side of God's truth. And so the good news of the gospel is that he goes to the cross to be punished in our place. See what's happened there? This is not like Daniel 5 where God's judgment comes. God's judgment comes not on you, not on me, but God's judgment falls on Jesus at the cross. And the greatest truth of the world is that three days later, Jesus rose from the dead offering us now life with him for all eternity, freedom to live in God's truth, and here's the key, here's the change, that forever tells us that we are truly loved and accepted by him. That's the truth that the Christian lives with now. That truth will never, ever change. Earlier in the Gospel of John, Jesus tells us this is what it's all been about. He says, to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you really are my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You see, the only way we can experience freedom in our lives is if we actually let God's truth reveal itself in us, to let it break through our defenses, do its work, but when it does, It heals. It heals us. We are healed by God's truth because God's truth is Jesus. And so in him we find our freedom. In him we find all of the resources that we need to face whatever is at the gates of our life. Whatever uncertainty, whatever army, whatever thing out there that we have been trying to keep at bay, God's truth comes in, reveals that, and then heals us and in freedom now we begin to grow more and more in God's truth this great little verse in Psalm 25 it's our verse of the week this week it says guide me in your truth and teach me for you are God my savior and my hope is in you all day long see when this happens we come to a place to realize that God's truth is Jesus and the Christian life is about hoping in him all day long. And that truth is the kind of truth that heals us. And we begin to be healed more and more by the truth of God. It actually makes us then people who wield truth, here's the key, in order to heal and not to harm. Some of us may like to think of ourselves as truth speakers, right? Hey, I just just tell it like it is, right? I don't have time for anything else, right? I'll just say what I need to say and because it's it's true, needs to be said, right? But that's often truth without love, right? Truth that doesn't seek to heal. And there are others of us who are scared to speak truth, We only want to speak words of love. We don't want to confront anyone. Even when we know that this person or this situation needs to hear the truth, 
That's love without truth. And both of those things are not good. We need to be people who share truth with love. Truth that heals. Why? Because that's what God has given to us in Jesus. His truth that heals us. And so as we close this morning, I want us to kind of leave with, with two questions. The first is, where may God be breaking into your life with his truth right now? Where may that be happening? And I can't tell you that if that's happening, that it's not going to be painful at times. But God's truth is going to break into our lives at some point, and it's going to reveal what is truly going on. And the second question is, where do you need God's truth to heal you? Once it's revealed, Where does seeing now that we are loved and accepted by God in Jesus, where does that begin to heal us, to change us, to make us more like him? In closing, I saw an article recently titled The Stories We Tell Ourselves by a philosopher named Todd May. And he notes that we're often telling stories about ourselves, many to make ourselves look good, May writes, we tell stories that make us seem adventurous, funny, or strong. We tell stories that make our lives seem interesting. And we tell these stories not only to others, but to ourselves. But are they true? May says that most of us live in echo chambers that reflect the righteousness of our lives back to us. And in our echo chambers, we justify why we and our group are superior to others, in short, we tell ourselves a very narrow and shallow story. Here's the difference though for the follower of Jesus. Followers of Jesus aren't always better people, but we always have a better and bigger story because our story isn't first and foremost about us. It begins with Jesus and his truth. One of the Bibles that I read with our kids, my wife and I read with our kids, is the Jesus Storybook Bible. It's beautiful, I would recommend it to all of you with kids. The artwork is beautiful. All of it is so gospel-centered. And in one of the stories, when Jesus is talking with his disciples, he says this. He says, this is how God will rescue the whole world. My life will break, and God's broken world will mend, will heal. My heart will tear apart, and your heart's will heal. I won't be with you long. You are going to be very sad. But God's helper will come and then you'll be filled up with a forever happiness that won't ever leave. So don't be afraid. You are my friends and I love you. Jesus is God's truth that broke through all of our defenses to your heart and to mine and revealed our deep deep need for him and he heals us and he seeks to keep healing us so more and more we can let the truth of God come into our lives reveal where we're going wrong and let the gospel and the work of Jesus turn us back towards him and heal us it's a big part of the Christian life put our hope in that happening each and every day all right let's pray together Father, we give you thanks that um, we, uh, we know 
Lord, all of the ways that we try to kind of deal with the things in our life, that we try to maybe keep truth at bay. Lord, we know that those things don't often work, and maybe they work for a time, but at some point, your truth is gonna come into our lives and reveal that it's not working, that we have a deep, deep need to be rescued. Lord, thank you that you have been showing up in incredible ways with your people throughout history, and you do it in us too. And so, Lord, wherever we may be finding your truth breaking into our life today, may we receive it, may it do its work, but may we quickly see that all of that is meant to heal us, that you have given us Jesus to do his work. May we trust in that, put our hope in that all day long that you would guide us then in your truth. That's our prayer this morning. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.